Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope and trust that you are all well. If you are new here, welcome to Back to Ashes. If you are returning, welcome back. It's great to see you. My name is Phoenix, for those of you that may not know. Before I get started, I would like to give a very special shout-out to the Patreon members. Victoria Huggins, Tina Mee, Tabia S., Nancy Wallace, Mana Ash, Interscare Wifey, Felicia Scott, Cindy Mead, and House of Jen. And the rest will be right here on the screen. Thank you all so much for being a part of the new membership. If you are new here or you've been here for a while and would like to join the Patreon family or become a member of the YouTube membership, and if you like what you are hearing and would like to buy me a coffee, all of that information can be found in the description box below. Some of you may notice that during these stories here on YouTube, whenever there is a curse word or something that I'm not supposed to say, it will be kind of cut off, and that's only because I record these in their actual writing, but because of certain words I can't say on YouTube, I have to bleep them out. If you would like to hear the story, how it was originally written, you can find that over on Patreon, plus other content that I cannot post here on YouTube. So for now, you'll just just have to listen to the bleeped out word or the cutoff word that I'm not allowed to say here on YouTube as it will cause the channel to get a strike or possibly pulled down. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For when we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in to get warm and enjoy this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Camping Horror Stories. Right after this intro, an ad will play, I'll read the first story, another ad will play, and then there will be no more ads within this video. This is not really too f***ed up, but it scared the f*** out of me. This was the off-season, and we were the only ones camping around this lake area. It was pitch black out, with the exception of our campfire. So around one in the morning, we were just chilling, smoking a bowl and bullsh**. The area we were at had a hill just above us with a lot of trees and bushes on it. We're sitting there and we start hearing a cracking sound, and then a huge crash, and something sounding like it's rolling, and then another huge smash. We get the flashlight on, looking up the hill, and all we can see is dust and debris falling down. We're totally freaked the f*** out. We didn't know what happened, but we decided to go to bed. Well, the next morning when we woke up, we noticed a gigantic old dead tree that had fallen and started rolling down the hill. You could see where it broke off up the hill and rolled all the way down, breaking smaller trees along the way. It was probably 30 feet tall and was a big, chunky bit. This fuck was completely sideways and was only stopped by three other trees that held it back up the hill. It would have rolled right onto our campsite if the other trees hadn't stopped it. I was freaked out the night before, but seeing it in the light of day, knowing how close we came to dying, was way more terrifying. Back in the day, when I was in college, 
me and the oldest took off to a lake in the wilds of Glacier Country. I have extensive backcountry exposure, even did a stint as a big game guide in a remote backcountry camp. On this day, we enjoyed the fishing and settled in for the night. I pulled out my pan and stoked up a nice fire. It was clear and cool as the sun faded into the western slopes. We cooked up some fresh rainbows with garlic and butter and filled our stomachs. I leaned back against the cooler after pulling out a refreshing beverage. The boy was soon asleep by the fire, as it had been a busy day. I sipped my beer and watched the moonlight bouncing off the little waves in the lake. There was still a light glow on the western horizon where the sun had gone down, and I could see the outline of the mountain peaks towering over the little lake. I slowly faded off to sleep with the sound of the lake waves gently lapping on the rocks. I awoke with a start. The fire was out. The lantern was out too. The moon was gone and it was pitch black. Something was wrong. The hair on the back of my neck stood straight out. I was paralyzed. I could hear my heart thumping as I strained to hear something in the bush. But all was quiet. I had a horrible, uneasy feeling. I gathered myself together and started kicking around the fire. A small flame came alive and I quickly threw on some wood. In the firelight, I could see that the boy had awoke and was shocked to see his wide, open eyes staring at me. What's wrong? he asked. Nothing. Uh, go climb in the tent. I lied. He crawled into the tent, but even in the light of fire, I couldn't shake my weariness. Something was out there in the bush, and I could feel it was watching me. I gathered up my light and flashed around the camp. Nothing. Finally, I began to calm down and crawled in the tent with the boy. Then again, like clockwork, I awoke completely tense. This time, I couldn't shake the feeling at all. I finally instructed the boy to wake up and go get in the truck. I packed up all of our camp and drove around to the other side of the lake and slept with him in the truck. At dawn, I got up and looked across the lake where we were camping earlier, and another uneasy feeling came over me. I decided it was time to go home. I don't know what was out there or what was going on over there, but I know my instincts, and something was bad wrong with that place. Whatever it was, I will leave it to your imagination. It creeps me out to this day thinking about that night. Before I get started with the story, I would like you all to know that this took place in the mid to late 80s. My dad and a group of his friends decided to camp out, so they told the parents the usual, I'm sleeping at so-and-so's. 
lies, and headed out. They hiked down motorways and a few twisting country lanes to an area of grassland with plenty of trees where they figured they wouldn't be discovered and set up camp. They talked for a while, and when it began to get dark, they decided to set fire to an old fallen tree to provide some extra warmth and light. They carried on talking around the tree for a while, and all was well, until all of a sudden, they became aware of a white van driving towards them out of nowhere. They immediately began to panic. Their parents would kill them if they were discovered. The van, a dirty white transit, slowed to a stop, and the doors were opened. Two men got out and walked towards my dad and his friends. We're police officers, the first said. He held up a dirty, torn pad of paper, presumably by way of identification. By this point, my dad and his friends were so scared about being found out by their parents that they didn't even notice the anomalies of the dirty, unmarked transit van and the lack of correct identification, never mind the fact that the men were wearing dirty clothes themselves. Definitely not police standard uniform. You set fire to a listed tree, said the second. They stepped forward. We're going to need you to come with us in the van. My dad and his friends were terrified. They were going to be in so much trouble for sneaking out, let alone for having been arrested. Fearing these apparent authority figures, they felt that they had no choice but to go with the officers. They walked towards the van and the men opened the back doors for them to get inside. But the inside of this van was definitely not that of a police vehicle. And even the kids snapped out of their fear-induced reveries and realized this when they saw that the space they were faced with was dank, dirty, stained with unknown substances and was jam-packed with an array of rusty tools, manual and power. Get in, one of the men repeated, then tried to push one of the boys into the van. This was the final straw. The boys knew this was not right. Run, my dad shouted, and they all scattered. The men cursed and got back into the van and began to chase the boys. For what seemed like an eternity, the men gave chase. The journey home was not a quick one, and the boys ended up alone, fending for themselves very soon. My dad remembers hiding in the bushes in the country lanes, having to jump over hedges, whilst all the while this van's headlights were showing up everywhere, following them. The men in the van didn't give up for quite a bit, but eventually my dad found his way through the country lanes up the motorways and home safe. He received a severe talking to from his parents for turning up home so late. But by this point, he hardly cared. Who knows what those men's intentions 
really were. My boyfriend Jason, 27, and I, 23, went on a month-long camping trip to multiple states. Everything had been going really well until October 9th. We decided to ditch a campground reservation and randomly pitch our tent near Albion Basin. Within the Uinta Mountains, Alta, Utah, not far off the Secret Lake Trailhead. We parked our car around 3 p.m. at the Albion Basin Campground, closed for the season, by the way. Admittedly, it was a little tense because this was our first dispersed camping attempt. We had no proper backpacking gear. Upon arrival, we realized the area we wanted to pitch our tent was about two miles uphill. At this point, we started to express regret as we had a planned campsite in Nephi, Utah that we decided to skip out on on a whim. After grumping around a bit and having a large lunch to avoid packing food, we packed our backpacks with the best gear we had to get through the night as it was going to be 25 degrees Fahrenheit. We set out up the trail seeing the occasional family or couple heading down the mountain. As we trudged on, we both started to feel strange, as if we did not really even know why we were doing this, as if we should have just gotten a hotel instead of trying to play backpackers for the night. But we both felt like we had something to prove as we continued. Fast forward... We made it up to Secret Lake. Totally empty, so nothing like the pictures. Disappointing and eerie. Whatever. We keep hiking up and up in an attempt for seclusion and flat land when we stumble across a decent space. I see a small cave in the distance and point it out to Jason to deliberate if it's a hell-no kind of situation. But after he checked it out, he says it seems like a small animal crawl space. No biggie. We set up as nightfall was quickly approaching, play some cards, bundle up, and decide to go to bed early at around 8.30 p.m. as we plan to leave as soon as possible in the morning, maybe at around 5 a.m. We both dwindle slowly, and after what feels like 30 minutes, I woke up abruptly at 11.24 p.m. I woke up with a feeling I have never experienced before. I woke up wide awake, scared but unprovoked, and as if there was no way in hell I was going to fall back asleep when I always sleep through the night. Jason was asleep, so I let him be and just lie there, alert, trying to listen to anything I could hear, which was nothing. It was very silent. Around 12 a.m., Jason woke up stirring, much to my delight as I did not want to feel alone anymore. I told him I could not sleep, but he suggested I just rest my eyes as we were leaving early in the morning. I agreed, 
initially not wanting to be a baby and say I was very scared. This was very short-lived as Jason could not fall back asleep himself, and we ended up laying there together trying to sleep. When I ended up blurting out, I was scared. We agreed it was fine for us to just stick it out through the night, as it was now approaching 2.30 a.m., and we had a small axe and pellet gun for protection, so I did not need to be frightened. Not even five minutes later... We are still wide awake, and Jason's head perks up so fast my heart jumped out of my chest, and I whispered, What is it? He replied, Shh, listen. And I shit you not. We distinctively heard the sound of gravel crunching under boots, as if someone walked up to our tent, stopped, and then walked to my side of the tent. I felt the blood drain out of my face in an instant. In real time, this all occurred in no more than ten seconds, but my mind flashed a million thoughts, and for a millisecond, I was convinced it was a ranger coming to tell us we could not camp here. So I called out, Hello? My brain entirely sure I heard human footsteps. Within two to three seconds of hearing the footsteps, Jason grabbed the gun and bursted out of the tent for any chance to confront this person, as I knew he heard exactly what I had heard. Nothing. There was nothing there. As soon as Jason bursted out, and me after him, there was nothing there. We heard something walk up so clearly, but nothing walked away. Hardly exchanging two words, we packed up our stuff looking over our shoulders terrified, feeling watched, and booked it down the mountain with only moonlight guiding our path, too scared to turn on our flashlights. This was the worst 20 to 30 minutes of my life half expecting to look over my shoulder to find someone following us. When we made it to our car, we locked the doors and started the descent out of the mountains, almost speechless and scared out of our minds. At this point, we reached town about 3.30 a.m. and slept in a well-lit parking lot of a grocery store. We have obviously since discussed what happened that night, and we are both haunted by the sound of those footsteps. As a child, I grew up in Sydney, southwest Australia, a suburb called Rose Meadow. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? Well... There are no roses, and half of the suburb is housing commission, and was known for being a rough area. Nevertheless, I enjoyed my childhood, and me and my friends made the most out of what we had, so we spent a lot of time playing in the local bushland. We rode bikes, made tree swings, caught frogs, and just explored. I dare say I know that bushland like the back of my hand. 
There was never really anything eerie about that bush except for the fact that there was a nursing home located on the western side of the bushland upon a large hill called Kilbride Nursing Home, which security would patrol. So we got chased out of that section of the bushland a few times. Behind the nursing home was a catacomb-type structure built as if they were going to construct another building, but never got around to finishing it. We explored these random concrete foundations with cave-like half-dirt, half-brick structures. It seemed like people used to hang out here, or even sleep here, as we found canned food, some old dirty bongs, old clothes, and just some random shit. Anyway, life goes on, and it's 2003 now, and I'm 14 years old. I dabbled with marijuana and thought it would be an awesome idea if me and my two friends pitched a tent on the western side of the bushland, further down the valley from the nursing home, so we weren't too close to the security cars, patrol paths. I think we bought a $40 tent from Kmart, and at about 4 p.m., we hiked to the chosen location to set up the tent before the sun went down. I managed to get some weed, had a bong, and it was like three of our first times properly smoking. We were all excited, as I imagine most kids would be when they're about to experience something new and exciting. We did not tell anyone about our plan, as we knew we were going to experiment with drugs and didn't want anyone, including our parents, finding out. The sun went down and I remember we had a little fire going and we all had a cone each. My friends were in deep conversation and my mind drifted off as I suddenly felt a presence around us and as if someone was watching us. My ears pricked up and I felt super sensitive, thinking I could hear rustling in the distance but wasn't quite sure. My two friends were having a great old time giggling like schoolgirls as they sat across the fire from me. Blame it on the weed, but I got paranoid and flailed my arms around and sternly let out a shh to my friends. They looked at me like, what the hell, man? And I whispered, did you hear that? And before I could finish my sentence, an eerie voice howled from the darkness, piercingly loud. I know where you are. Kind of sounded like a crackhead. I was shocked and glared at my friends to gauge their reactions because surely they heard that too. And yep, after about two seconds of all of us frozen in shock, we all jolted up and our instincts just had us running back towards the nursing home to exit the bushland. Whilst running, I saw a large dark silhouette figure of what resembled someone in a cloak like a grim reaper standing on top of the catacomb half-built infrastructure as we ran through the valley. When I saw the figure, I kept thinking, what the hell? and wasn't going to stop to investigate it anymore. 
We finally reached the exit of the bushland and looked back in relief and confusion at the bush, at which point we all saw a white apparition at the bottom of the hill coming towards us. We continued to run back to my house as it was close to the bushland. I got affirmed by my friends that that just happened and we all experienced the same thing. I'm pretty sure we just slept at my house that night, not wanting to go back to the bush until the sun was out. The next day, we went back to the tent and cleaned up our mess, and although we had a bad experience during the night, playing in the bush was our thing, so we continued to enjoy it during the light hours. As we were playing by the tree swing, which was at about 15 minutes away, from where we had the tent the night before. We suddenly hear the shrieks and screams from what sounded like a young girl, who then yelled, Help me! And then the sound of someone starting up a chainsaw. I looked over the mound of where the tree swing was, but couldn't see much through the thick shrub. I didn't even think People could get to that side of the bush as there was no flat ground or pathways, just thick bushland. So once again, we all ran back to my house and got my dad to bring my dog and come help us search. What was very bizarre was that when we searched my house, there was an old Chinese man riding his bike around the front of the house who wore a bucket on his head as a helmet. I had seen that guy around town before and just always thought, ha, how strange he wears a bucket. But this time he was riding right near my house, kind of just circling around, and the look he gave me made me feel very uncomfortable. We took my dog down to the bush and again found nothing. These experiences have made me wonder and think, sometimes even questioned me and my friend's sanity. Were we all going through the same psychosis? Was the Chinese bucket hat man mystical in some way and thus for fun? Who yelled out to us? Who was the girl screaming? Was there actually a crazed maniac with a chainsaw ready to slaughter her? Does the nursing home hold dark energies and entities that play tricks on people in the bushland. To this day, I will never know the truth, but it was all very strange. If someone who reads this or listens to this knows Rose Meadow Bush and has had similar experiences, please, please, please let me know. Thank you all so much. I'm a 33-year-old female from Los Angeles. Three years ago, my brother and I, as planned for five years, turned 30, sold everything we owned, including my car, took his trailblazer and decided to just travel around the States and Canada. I guess you could call us backpackers, as we tend to chase good weather find a state park and backcountry hike into the wilderness for days at a time. 
My brother likes to joke that we are anti-establishment hippies. We don't necessarily live off the grid, but between the two of us, we have one prepaid phone we use for emergencies or checking in with family and friends, and one MacBook which I use for work. I'm a freelance writer and content creator, and I am on retainer with Robotics Company. I mostly write boring white papers or web content. The whole point of our living situation is to live debt-free and have as few bills as possible. I only use Wi-Fi, so one to two times a week we have to go to a city with a Starbucks. This background info is only important so you know more about who we are and how simply we live. Neither of us is involved in social media and know very little of Reddit or Instagram or any apps because our phone isn't a smartphone. We don't even text. Last summer, we decided to do some backcountry hiking in Arkansas. It's one of those states you don't ever really hear about other hikers visiting, but we read that it had some beautiful natural landscape. It does. The rules at this particular park were pretty lax. We didn't need a permit. There were a few basic laws and guidelines. But there was no check-in needed. We had all the basics and had planned to do a six-day hike. Three in, three out. The only time we were out there, we didn't see or hear another soul. But on day one... We were prepping to move off trail and finding a camping spot as it was getting near dusk. A half a mile off trail is usually the standard for us. We took what looked like kind of an animal trail and about half a mile out, we saw a green two-person tent. It was almost camouflaged in the foliage, so we came on it almost by accident. Some backpackers prefer privacy Others are more social. We're the more social type. We've had some great experiences camping near backpackers, sharing stories, food, and a joint or two. We were around 30 yards away from the tent. It was zip closed, by the way. So my boyfriend shouted a greeting to make our presence known. No movement and no sound. We assumed Green Tent Guy either wasn't around or didn't want to be bothered, so we started off in a new direction to get some distance between us. We camped. Never heard a peep. We moved along the next morning, completely forgetting about Green Tent Guy, until nearing the end of day five on our trek back. We were again looking for a spot to camp off the trail when we came up on the green tent again. That isn't that unusual, but normally backcountry hikers keep moving, so we really weren't expecting it. The tent flap was open, so my boyfriend yells his greeting again and... nothing. My boyfriend wants to go check it out, saying, It's weird, and... Maybe someone is hurt. I didn't like the idea from the get-go. 
because even though we hadn't had a bad experience personally, we've heard enough stories from other backpackers about hermits and mountain men that want privacy, carry guns, etc. But my boyfriend assured me we'd be fined and if all else fails, offer him some weed to keep the peace and we'd go on our way. As soon as we get within 20 yards of the place, the smell of decomposition is intense. My boyfriend has been hailing his greeting over the last 20 yards, and once the smell hits him, he stops and turns to me and says, What if we find a dead body? My skin crawled. I was immediately afraid. I've never seen a dead body before and really don't want to. The closer we got to the tent, the worse the smell got. I knew for sure we were going to walk in and see some old camper's rotting corpse. What we found was worse than that. Outside the tent was a dead doe's legs, all four of them, covered in flies. It looked like the legs had been cut most of the way and then ripped off the rest of the way. It was a nasty mess. Inside was the body and head of the deer, but the middle portion was swaddled in a blue fleece blanket that was blood-soaked at the bottom where the legs used to be. It was laying on its side, bottom facing the tent entry. The tail had been cut off, and the anus and vagina was covered in dried blood and a gape. Like something had been penetrating it. The same with its mouth. The bottom portion was bent down at a scary, broken-looking angle. The tent was open, so we could see everything without having to go inside. Not that we would have anyway, because at this point the smell was almost debilitating. There was a dirty, almost empty clear bottle of Jergens baby oil and a stained green and white French kitchen towel. That was it. I immediately started crying and begged him to go. All he could muster was, What the fuck? And we turned and ran. We ran to the trail and jogged down it for as far as we could go until dusk was fully on us and we had to set up camp. We didn't go very far off the trail and neither of us slept. We didn't start a fire or use headlamps after full dark. We just sat up whispering to each other, going over and over what we had just seen. Every little noise startled us. It was like our brains were on red alert. I kept thinking any moment a dead deer would come back to his tent, see our footprints or something, know we were there and track us back to our tent. I've never been so scared in my entire life. Just before dawn, we tore down and started out. My boyfriend stopped at the ranger station on our way out of the park to report what he had seen. The ranger was a young guy around our age, and he looked as freaked out by our story as we were telling it. 
He wrote most of it down, and my boyfriend showed him on a map approximately where it had been. He asked if we knew how the deer was killed, and at that point, we hadn't even thought about it. We just assumed it had been shot, but because of the blanket, we didn't see a wound, and we weren't exactly giving it an autopsy either. We have since shortened our backcountry hikes to a maximum of four days. We've also been a lot less eager to call out to other campsites and have never approached another unmanned tent again. I live in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in northeast Georgia. It's a beautiful area with hundreds of miles of national forest, some great state parks, and a ton of fantastic camping places. Unfortunately, my hometown is also relatively poor. While there are some out-of-town residents from Atlanta and other places, a lot of people where I live are really poor. I do freelance work as a technical writer, so I can do most of my work online. If I didn't have that going for me, I'd have to move somewhere else. It's just one of those small towns that will rob you of your ability to accomplish anything in life if you stay there too long, without anything else going for you at least. Excluding a handful of doctors and lawyers and Georgia Power Company employees, the only employment in the area is at Walmart, fast food, and a couple of grocery stores. To the east of my town, there's a massive national forest. It's loaded with great camping sites and lots of relatively unused hiking trails. I really enjoy hiking on them with my dog, but it can be a bit of an unnerving experience sometimes. It's about a 10-mile drive from town, and there's no cell phone service or homes for miles. In the past... There have been a lot of vehicle break-ins at the trailheads. The gravel parking lots at some of them glitter with bits of broken glass from what I'm guessing were car windows. Sometimes there are really shifty people hanging around those trailheads or just driving around on the forest service roads. These are really rough roads and you'll see these beat-up $500 cars just barreling along roads meant for a 4x4. Some of the people you see in the cars look like the guy that got crushed by an ATM in Breaking Bad. All that being said, it's still a great place to camp. However, you just have to be careful. A few years ago, two of my friends and I decided to go play paintball in the National Forest. Probably not legal, I know. We decided to turn the paintball expedition into a camping trip so we could play the next morning, too. After a pretty uneventful day of shooting paintballs at each other, we drive a couple of miles to one of the more popular camping spots. Unfortunately, a church group or something had taken up all the spots in the area. This was really the only camping spot that we were familiar with, and it was getting pretty late. 
We decide to keep on looking, so we drive for about another hour further and further into the woods. By this time, it's getting a bit dark and we're getting a bit worried about finding a spot. We all had GPS on our smartphones, but none of us had any service. We turn off onto an unfamiliar road that isn't in very good shape. In fact, it looks like the four service rangers used a backhoe to block off the road with a mound of dirt. A broken metal barrier lay in the woods nearby. That said, it looked like 4 by 4 vehicles had been going over the mound, so it was pretty worn down. Our F-150 had pretty high clearance, so we decided to go over the mound. There was an old gravel road on the other side, and the road was pretty much clear of debris. We drove a few miles down the road and came across an opening next to a small creek. There were some blue tarps hanging over a plywood table nailed to a tree, which seemed kind of odd. That said, it was pretty much dark at this point and we didn't want to keep driving around all night looking for a camping spot. We left the truck light running and we set up our tent. As we were setting up the tent, I started to notice that there was a lot of trash in the woods surrounding the site. I see a green bottle laying on the ground. I take a look at the label and see that it's a bottle of home and garden insecticide. I was really tired at the time and I just thought that someone had been dumping their home garbage out there. None of us thought it was weird that someone would be dumping garbage in an area that is more than an hour from the nearest home. We set up camp, had some beers, and made chili from scratch. By this time, it was probably around 11 p.m. As we're eating, we notice a faint glow from the other side of a nearby hill. At first, we thought it was moonlight filtering its way through the trees. However, the angles didn't make any sense. It didn't seem to be a bright light, and it wasn't moving. It was kind of like that glow you see over a bright city. We couldn't see the light source itself, though. Since there were no other access roads in the area, we decided it wasn't other campers. The hill was about a quarter mile from our campsite, so we decided to go investigate. Under normal circumstances, I know I wouldn't have done so. However, we all had a few rum and cokes in our stomachs, and two of us, Jacob and I, decided to take a look. My other friend, Isaac, decides to stay behind to pop some popcorn over the fire. We start walking towards the light source and the situation gets even stranger. All the trees in the area have their bark knocked off in a circle around their trunks. We thought it could have been the work of a beaver that lived in the creek, but it seemed strange that a beaver would go around all these trees and just knock the bark off in a circle. Jake and I started talking about the ghost beaver in pretty loud voices probably due to our drunkenness. As we're almost to the top of the hill, Jacob tripped and yelled, Oh, shit. A few seconds after he yelled, the light, 
whatever it was, went out. We looked at each other and decided that maybe we don't need to see what the light was after all. We walk back in silence and keep looking back every few seconds. We decide to turn off our flashlight and just use the moonlight to get back to the campsite. When we got a couple of hundred feet from the campsite, I can see my other friend Isaac walking around the campsite. He was wearing a hooded coat that I hadn't seen him wearing before. For some reason, he's carrying his paintball gun around in his hand. That seemed a little odd, we said to each other. The fire had started to die down, so we couldn't see our campsite very well. At this point, we'd probably been gone for almost an hour. From that distance, it looked like Isaac was looking for something. He kept walking around the site and was peering in the tent. When we were almost back to the campsite, we saw Isaac walk up the road we came in on. We figured that he was going to go use the bathroom and didn't want to wander through the woods like us. When we got back, we sat next to the fire and waited for Isaac to come back. All of a sudden, we see him lurch out of the tent. He stumbles a few feet and vomits. After we left, he had a few more rum and cokes, he mumbles. We ask him why he kept wandering around the campsite with a paintball gun and he gets a strange look on his face. They're locked up in the cab of the truck. Did you unlock it? We go and check the truck, enter the door code, and see all of our paintball equipment, just as we had left it before. The keys to the truck were still hidden in a magnetic fob underneath. I instantly get a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Isaac, what were you doing after we left? I asked. Um, I was watching a movie on my phone, then I fell asleep, I guess. But you were walking around with your paintball gun, right? Did you just change jackets? Isaac said he had been in the tent since we left and that he had been wearing the same unhooded fleece all night. Someone had been walking around our campsite, and it wasn't Isaac. At this point, all of us are way too drunk to drive, but we decided to go ahead and pack up and go back to my house for the night. We don't bother packing up the tent. We just fold it down with the sleeping bags and everything in it. We jump in the F-150 and I start to drive out. When we get to the dirt hump, we see something gray blocking our path. The metal barrier that had been lying in the woods earlier is now back on its stand, right on top of the hump earlier. By this point, all of us have sobered up to the situation. No one wants to get out of the car or to try to move the barrier. I had a metal guard on the front of the F-150, so I drive forward slowly, tapping the metal barrier with the front of my truck. It falls right off. It must have just have been balanced on top, I guess. And we drive over it slowly. We were terrified that it would pop one of the truck's tires as we drove over it, but 
Thank goodness it didn't. As we drive down the road, we see a vehicle following us with its lights off. It's probably a thousand feet behind us, but we keep catching glimpses of it as the moon reflects light off of it. I start to drive as fast as I can on the Forest Service Road, and the other vehicle keeps pace. It doesn't get any closer, though. It stays just one or two turns behind us. We can only see it when the road straightens out. After about 45 minutes of speeding along gravel roads, we make it back to the main paved road. I start to drive everyone back to my house, but I decide to go a different way just to be safe. I didn't get pulled over for a DUI, luckily. Camping can be fun, but very rural camping can be dangerous. I've driven past that metal barrier since that time, but it's always been in place. I would never go down that road again, ever. Hello everyone, I'm a female, 24, and from the UK. Despite a few creepy instances as a child, there has only been one time in my adult life that I have truly felt primal fear. My apology if this story is long, but trust I am being as concise as possible and need to explain the surroundings a little at first. I live in a village in the middle of the English countryside. To paint an accurate picture of its size, it has a population of 4,000, but feels more like a thousand due to its spread out nature and being surrounded on all sides by lots of fields, farms, and woods that eventually connects onto a pretty famous forest. It's kinda in the middle of nowhere, and because of this, it has a notoriously bad phone and internet connection. I have lived here all my life. I know the place like the back of my hand. I know where all the public footpaths through the woods and fields are, where they connect, which are shortcuts, where to cross deep streams, etc. I have gone on walks in this area throughout my childhood with parents and alone as an adult. Nothing bad had happened. I felt safe here. The story takes place last summer in July, after I moved back home from university and I had yet to get a job and smoked a lot of weed. A habit my parents despised and which I tried to keep hidden from them by going for evening walks. Multiple pre-rolled joints hidden away in my hoodie pocket. As usual, this day they both got home at 5 p.m. We had dinner but chatted for a little longer than usual as my mom had had quite a hectic day and was telling me about it. Because of this, I ended up heading out for my walk an hour later than routine, around 7 p.m. But as it was summer, the sun was still shining, so honestly, I didn't really notice that it would start getting dark while I was still out. The woodland closest to my house is less than five minutes away, and you enter through a gate into a farmer's field. You can see across the open area quite until the first set of small woods obscures your view. 
That's where I was heading as I knew the tracks takes under two hours and leads back onto the same path I was standing on now. More than enough time to smoke the three joints in my pocket and for the smell to leave my clothing, I had thought. The entire area is very popular for dog walkers, so it's not unusual to see other people while you are about, and as this is a village, everybody says hello to everybody. I lit my first joint and started walking. I'm just in my own world for a while until I was less than a hundred feet before the entrance of the woods. An elderly man was coming out of them, throwing a ball for his collie dog. I finished my joint and stubbed it out. As I got closer, I recognized it was John, who lived on the road next to mine and knew my grandpa. We stopped and said hello as I stroked his dog Max. While talking, I see another man coming out of the woods. No dog, bright green jacket, very tall and had a good ten years on me age-wise. John and I chat another minute and then say goodbye. He warns me not to stay out here too long as it will start getting dark very soon. True, the sky was bright pink and orange. The sun was indeed beginning to set. I hadn't really noticed. I continued on down the path towards the man. When we were nearly passing each other, I looked up to make brief eye contact smiled and said hello like everyone here does even if you don't recognize the person my eyes instantly met his he was already looking at me his dark eyes locked on mine he wasn't smiling i didn't know him at all but i knew something was wrong it was in his eyes i swallowed my politeness and looked at the ground as we passed I had lived in my uni's city the past couple years, so I knew a red flag when I saw one, and my country bumpkin manners evaporated. I quickened my pace a little, and before entering the woods slyly, I looked back. The guy was still walking in the same direction following John. I felt relieved, laughed, cursed the weed for making me paranoid while lighting up another joint, and started walking into the woods. It takes about 30 minutes to follow the path through the woods to the end. The pathway exit opened into another field that led to another set of woods. The sky was now violet, the dimming light having been obscured to me by the trees. I was already smoking my last joint and was near the entrance to the second set of woods when I felt it. Fear. Complete. Crippling. Absolute fear worked its way like electric through every layer of flesh. I'd never felt anything like it before or since, but I knew what it was. I whipped around. Standing at the exit of the first set of woods was the man. I could still make out his green jacket in the fading light. He's fucked, doubled back and very quickly, too. I had looked back several times while in those trees, and he hadn't been there. For a second, I froze, as did he. He knew I'd seen him. 
To sprint the distance between us would take him about five minutes. He was obviously in good shape. I threw the spliff and bolted into the woods. The only way I could go. I didn't dare look behind me. I sprinted for a couple of minutes before taking a sharp left turn off the path into the trees. Hoping to throw him off a bit, but I couldn't see a thing. The light was already darkening and the trees made it a hundred times worse, especially as I was now in the thick of them. Their branches catching on my clothes like fingers, whipping and scratching my bare legs so bad I bled. I ran and ran, my lungs protesting in pain, hating me for smoking so much, while my heart was throwing itself against my ribcage, trying to escape. I couldn't anymore. I threw myself on the ground behind a particularly thick trunk. My back against it, knees to my chest, hand thrown over my mouth to stifle my labored breathing, desperately trying to pump air into my lungs for the next sprint. I listened for the first time. A few seconds passed silently. Then I hear him. Heavy footfalls snapping twigs behind me and about 20 feet to my left. I dare not look in case he sees me. I have my phone, but know I have little chance of signal being where I was. I knew he'd either hear me talking or see the light from the display. I'm not ashamed to say at this point I'd started to cry, the tears falling silently down my cheeks. What the f- I hear a deep voice exclaim, Where are you? I know you're here. I saw you. I have to clasp both hands across my mouth to stop my scream escaping. I can hear him moving around. I panic and I find enough courage to slowly peek from behind the tree. He was about ten feet behind me, less than twenty feet to the left, with his back to me. I move back and my eyes search the area around me. I pick up a pretty heavy rock. I carefully check on him again. His back is still turned, but he's searching through the trees, hunched down lower to the ground now. I make a snap decision, and with everything I had left, I threw the rock behind me and to the right. It clattered through the branches of the trees and made one hell of a noise. I watch him immediately bolt in its direction, laughing. He f- laughed. I paused a little hearing his footsteps get quieter until I thought I wouldn't be visible to him if I moved and threw myself forward. I ran, trying to put as much distance between us as possible, but I was also aware that I was getting further and further away from home. I knew there had to be a stream somewhere close. If I found the stream, I can follow it as it borders the land and ran parallel to some of the footpaths. I ran. I ran and ran until the trees finally cleared and I can just make out another field through them on the other side. 
I thank God and push myself a little bit further until I'm out of the trees and the ground disappears from below my feet and I go head over shoulders down the stream embankment. I crash into the water below, my open mouth and lungs filling with muddy water. As I sputter it out, I feel both relieved to have found the stream and terrified he's heard me. My phone is now ruined. I slowly make my way downstream as quiet as possible, listening out for him the whole time as the stream borders the woods, looking up periodically just in case. After a while, maybe half an hour, I notice the trees begin to thin out and realize this is the edge of the woods where I would have been exiting and where the pathway connected to the original one I'd started on. If I ran, I could get home in less than 20 minutes. As quiet as I could, I dragged myself on my stomach back up the embankment army style, wanting to stay as low as possible. I peeked over the top. I could just make out the opening of the woods, exit path about 50 feet away. I sat and scanned the forest line for a couple minutes, my eyes trying to make out movement despite it now being pitched black. Nothing. I couldn't hear anything either. I pushed myself up and sprinted as fast as I could across the field onto the pathway. I knew the gate I'd entered through was in the adjoining field. It really wasn't far. I was so happy. You f***ing came a screech from across the field. I swear my legs nearly gave out then and there. He had been waiting for me. I turned my head and saw him sprinting out of the woods at full pelt. I screamed and pushed myself further, tears coating my face. All I could do was run. I crossed into the main field now, and I could see the moonlight shining off the metal gate. My house was just five minutes away after that. I have never focused on anything as much as that gate. He was faster than me and getting closer, screaming at me the entire time about how he was going to slit my throat. I ran and ran, pushing myself up and over the gate and ran up the road. I dared look as I made the turning for my road. He was still following me. I raced up my driveway and threw myself through the door, running into the living room, crying and screaming hysterically, pointing behind me towards the door. My dad ran outside while my mom grabbed a hold of me as I collapsed, shaking. As it turns out, my parents had already called the police. As I said, I was going out for an hour or so at 7, and it was now past 12 a.m., and I hadn't answered when they had called. My now broke phone. Very unlike me. We called the police again to explain. They came and I gave a full statement. Both my parents and the police were horrified. Nothing like this happens here. There hasn't been a reported rape or murder in the last hundred years. But one look at me and it was obvious. I was telling the truth, 
I was covered head to toe in cuts and bruises, soaking wet and covered in mud and blood. I won't go into how this experience changed me. It's too depressing. But I will say the thing that scares me the most is that they never even had a suspect. Despite him following me so closely, he was gone by the time my dad ran outside. That guy is still out there, and who knows what he is really capable of. Two years ago, I went to go visit family up in northern Minnesota around Labor Day weekend. I will not give the exact location, but will provide at least a general location where this happened. To keep this short, I'm hoping someone may have had a similar experience, or may have a general idea what this thing or entity was walking around our tent. The general location, Mary Brown Bridge, Menaga, Minnesota. On that Labor Day weekend, my girlfriend and I were planning on spending time camping with her family. Both of us were very excited to get away from the everyday city life and anticipated a much-needed low-key weekend. We arrived at their location around noon on Saturday and were warm greeted by everyone there. During the day and evening, we were enjoying ourselves with random fun activities and catching up on how everyone was doing. As dusk started to settle in, we all were near the campfire for a few hours until 11 p.m. Eventually, the family and ourselves called it a night and headed to bed. My girlfriend and I were offered to sleep in a bigger size six person earlier that day from whom her relative, who I will call Mary. It was a kind gesture at the time as we only brought a two person size tent. Having that additional space for our belongings and our air mattress was a nice added feature. Mary's tent was positioned not too far from the campfire and the rest of the family. The family did a wonderful job clearing and maintaining the area for their smaller RVs and additional tents. To the back of the tent, about 20 to 30 yards, is where the woods started with semi-thick brush and trees. Us three were laying down chatting, and eventually they both fell asleep. For some reason, I couldn't sleep, so I was on my phone passing time, hoping to eventually drift off to sleep. This is when I heard faint activity in the woods about 40 yards back. I dismissed it right away, as deer are known in this area, and continued to space off on my phone, looking at random things. About 10 or 20 minutes later, I heard something get closer to our tent. I could distinctly hear twigs snapping and moving between bushes, getting closer to our tent in the clearing. This started to get my attention, as I could start physically feeling a faint shake in the ground as this thing or entity was wandering around. Moments later, this thing was about 10 yards away from our tent, walking and running back and forth. Each step this thing took, I could physically feel the vibration of the ground. 
This thing was big. The best way to describe this feeling is if you went to a live rock concert and felt the kick drum hit your body. At this point, I was a bit terrified as I was trying to follow the footsteps running and walking at the back and the side of the tent. This entity or thing got at least five yards near our tent and suddenly stopped near Mary's side of the tent. The hairs on the back of my neck stood straight up, scared of what this thing was going to do next. I shit you not. A few seconds later, Mary shot up from being dead asleep. She gasped for air and was calling our names to wake us up. You could hear in her voice she was terrified. This entity hightailed off back into the woods. Both of us were very startled at this point. The woods were dead silent and eventually had enough courage to look out the tent. We saw and heard nothing. And about 30 minutes later, ran to their shop to grab a shotgun. Another anomaly during this whole thing while we were alert and awake. Mary mentioned during this time I was awake, she was having a dream. She mentioned these entities were tormenting her, saying they want her soul, or wanting to kill her, and to give it to them. My girlfriend dismissed the whole thing and said it was probably just a deer, etc., running around. After hearing my girlfriend say that, I never told anyone about this story. Until recently, as I started to think about it again, trying to figure out what the hell this thing, or entity, was. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these true camping horror stories. If you are asleep, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.